Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you and we just thank you again for your presence. Thank you that you are real. Thank you that you're real. Lord, we just give you our hearts today. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate the word of God to us. I pray, Lord, that um, you would be seen. Jesus, that you would be seen. Lord, that each and every time that we come into this place, our greatest goal is that Jesus would be exalted and seen. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that you would take these words, O oh God, and that you would, uh, would just speak your heart over all of us and that we would hear from you and that it would transform us and that we would live differently. God, we love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to share my heart with you today. Is that okay? Um, this is not a series. I'm not beginning a series. I'm not, uh, I, I, this is just kind of one of those standalone places. If you're looking for a title, it's called Making a Place for the Lord. Making a Place for the Lord. Um, Last week, we got back from vacation. You know, we were on vacation for a couple of weeks, and, you know, you, you, you get those times where, um, you know, you get some time off, and you kind of reflect and think about what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing, and, uh, you know, it's just those times where you just take a step back and evaluate what God's speaking, what God's saying, and, and uh, I just want to share a little bit about that uh, this morning, just kind of in the place where we've been at uh, as a church I was just thinking about this. August 1st will be four years that I've been the pastor here. That's pretty amazing. So uh, that's gone by quick. Um, I wasn't looking for applause, but thank you. Um, but it's, been, it's, been a, it's gone by quickly. And I just reflect on what God has, has spoke to me uh, on the onset of uh, becoming pastor. And, I, and it, being pastor is hard. You know that? It is, it is, it is very difficult. I, I, I learn more and more how difficult it is every day. If it were me, and I know it's not, so I can say this. If it were me, and, uh, and, and God asked me and said, how would you do church? I would say, let angels be pastors. It, doesn't that sound smart? Maybe I'm the only one. I think, you know, I, I, I just, I, I think if it was a committee of one and I was in charge, I would say, make angels pastors. Then you have this nine-foot guy with a flaming sword that would come and bring the word of the Lord every week. <laughs> there are no questions. <laughs> I, that's what I would do, but uh, God in his sovereignty and his amazing sovereignty he says, nope, I'm going to use frail, broken people to be leaders. And we all go, oh, you know, I mean, even I do that. I mean, really? You're going to do that? And he calls us and he speaks things to our hearts. And, you know, as, as a leader, you know, there, and you heard me talk about it in the series in James where there's this, there's a... There's a high calling, there's an accountable calling as a pastor and a leader, and I take that very seriously, and, and 
on the onset of this, when, when, when it was all transitioning, that I was going to become the pastor, I tell you right now, that'll make you, or it should make you, it made me, it made you, make you will hit your knees quick and in a hurry. When all of a sudden you, it dawns on you that you have this responsibility. It was like the night before I got married, you know, it's like, this is a heavy responsibility. I mean, as a youth pastor, you just wing it. Man, kids don't care anyway. You know, it's just like, you know, you're just shoot from the hip. Tori likes that one. She's got, she'll be laughing the whole time now, so. We were talking about that one day about shooting from the hip, and she got a visual, you know, that time. But, you know, and not to say that I didn't take you being youth pastor very seriously. I did. I did. But, uh, you know, kids really don't care if you mess up. They, they're just glad somebody loves them. And uh, they, they, it's just way easier. And so as I sought the Lord, you know, and, 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 I, and I took the responsibility very seriously, I said, Lord, what are you, what are you speaking? Not, not just to me, but what are you speaking over the church? And you know, I was reminded of that prayer. You know, remember when Solomon was asking God for wisdom, when God said, you know, you can have whatever you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom. In fact, he said it like this, and, and I have adopted this prayer. He said, God, I'm, I'm like a little child. I don't know how to lead these people. I need wisdom. And God was honored by that prayer, you know, and he said, well, because you didn't ask for wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else. And I'm still waiting for my palace, but it hasn't come through yet. But uh, no, I'm, but I, I understand that prayer. God help me to lead these people. You know, and I think about, and one of the thoughts that I had in, as I was just kind of thinking about the history of this church, you know, born in the 50s, and you have different pastors that have come through the years, and there's different seasons, and there's different ebbs and flows, and uh, different styles, and you know, one emphasis might be different than another emphasis, and I, and, I, and I just, I honor all of those people who have gone before and all those great men of God who have gone before, and um, just, I, I, it's, a, it's a blessing, their lives and their ministry here. But as I prayed, I said, you know, Lord, what, what are you telling, what are, what are you saying in this season? And I think if you look at Scripture from the front to the back, you will see times and seasons, ebbs and flows. The emphasis will be different here. The emphasis will be different here. But Jesus is always the center. And what I felt like he spoke to me very clearly was this. I want this time and this season to be a time for my people to be rooted and grounded in my word like never before. Rooted and grounded in the word of God. That was as clear as I can tell you as anything I've heard from God. And then you take that and you say, well, I have to be obedient to what he's called me to do. Now that doesn't mean that I'm ignoring the Holy Spirit in that. At, not at all. I, 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 think, I, I think as you look at who the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit says that he doesn't speak on his own behalf. That he speaks 
what he hears the Father speak. He does what he sees the Father doing. At the very beginning of time, when it says that there was darkness and void over all, you know, in the face of the deep, it says that the Spirit was hovering over the waters. But the Spirit, had, he was just hovering. He wasn't doing anything yet. And then the word of the Father said, let there be light, and the Spirit was activated. And so I think as you root and ground yourself in the Word, you're going to encounter more of the Holy Spirit. I am on a quest for the authentic move of His Spirit as a pastor. Athena and I are both third-generation Pentecostals. My great-grandfather was a Pentecostal Church of God pastor half Indian. He ministered to a lot of different people. We grew up in the buckle of the Bible Belt, Cleveland, Tennessee. There's a glow every once in a while if you'll look in the, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) The headquarters of the Church of God, that was what we grew up in, and we grew up in that. We saw many, many things growing up. And in this quest for authentic, uh, authentic move of his spirit, my heart is this. I, I have seen a lot of damaging things that we have called revival. And my heart is to stay away from it. The damaging things that we have called revival or things that we've done in the name of Christ, in the name of the Holy Spirit that had so much collateral damage and it did so much damage to not only the church, but, the, uh, but people that were outside of the church. And so I am on a quest for personal revival for my own heart and for your heart as well. When I look at revival, you know, that, when you hear the word revival, you, you, you have all these kind of images and everybody would say, this is what revival looks like, that's what revival looks like. And we could probably go in here and do a, you know, a, a little question of what do you think revival looks like? And you would have probably a hundred different things. You know, is revival where a church has a series of meetings that last for a while? Well, that would be some people's definition of a revival. My heart in revival is personal revival. Personal Revival, a person that has maybe been through much, maybe not has been through, maybe they've been through very little, but they are living under the Lordship of Christ day to day to day. A father who was struggling is now a great father. A husband who has had struggles in his life who's now allowed the Holy Spirit to move in his life that he is now a great husband. Allowing the Holy Spirit to conform us more into the image of Christ Jesus. When we hear revival, we think of a move of God. My question is, is God moving in your heart? Do you experience revival in your own heart? And I think for so long that the church has had a wrong focus or the goal becomes the wrong thing and we exalt one thing and say, well, that's the way God moves is you've got to have this happen or this happen. 
and we can make things the wrong focus, Jesus Christ has to be the focus. Am I being conformed to his image? Am I becoming more and more like him every day? And I feel strongly from the Lord that he has spoken to me as a leader to guard against unbiblical, unbiblical damaging moves that have caused a lot of heartache. And the way he has taught me and told me to do this is to dig in his word and exalt Jesus Christ. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He illuminates the word and he will exalt Jesus Christ. And with that said, we have to allow God to be God and, and we have to allow God to, 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 to be in these times of different times and seasons, ebbs and flows. It's all throughout Scripture. Is God in control? Is he sovereign? He's the one that leads and guides and directs. Ultimately, it's his church. If he tarries and Jesus doesn't return for a while, none of us are going to be here. We'll all be in heaven and probably laughing at a lot of things that we thought were a big deal and hugging each other and loving each other in heaven and it's going to be beautiful and the stuff that's going on down here, oh well, let them have it. We will be in victorious rejoicing. But I think you see in Scripture where there is ebbs and flows, there's times and seasons. And we have to allow God to be God in those times. I'm going to be in Haggai chapter 1 if you want to turn there. I'm going to spend my time this morning in the first chapter of Haggai. It's a small prophetic book, two chapters. But it's an interesting time, and I'll give you a little historical context in a second, but I believe God is saying some very powerful things through this prophetic book. What is he saying? How does it apply to our hearts as individuals, as people of God? What is God trying to say through this? Um, before I read it, uh, I just want to uh, just talk a little bit about it, but it's a chapter of divine priorities. It's a chapter of alignment, it is God's call to us as his church to, to seek him and his priorities and to be rightly aligned with him and his word. It's a corporate call um, to the people of, of, of Israel, but I believe as, as we look at it, and, you, and you'll see in this book, as in all prophetic books, you can have a very personal thing, and I think it's a personal application that we will see in this book, and it's an invitation and challenge to us as the people of God. Let me give you a little historical context on it. The children of Israel had been taken into exile. Um, after they had been there a while, Cyrus, the king of Persia, issued a decree that anyone who wanted to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of the Lord, that they could. So there's this permission to go back and rebuild the temple of the Lord. This is a very unsettled time in history for the, for the people of God, for the ch children of Israel. They're in exile because of disobedience. They had been rebellious to God, and he allowed them to be taken captive. And here you have the, this king who has given them fa favor, and, uh, and, and so he has given permission for those who want to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild 
the temple of the Lord that they could. There was a remnant of about 50,000 people that went back for the specific reason of rebuilding the temple. So they 50,000 people went. Two years go by and they have the foundation laid. Um, Cross-reference books are Ezra and Nehemiah. You can see this is kind of during that same time. During the process, they're laying the foundation and they are getting to the task of what God has called them to and they experience great opposition. Welcome to Christianity. When you are following what God wants you to do and you are in line with what God has, has put on your life, the destiny, the promise of God, and you are walking it out, you are going to experience opposition. In fact, you probably need to be a little concerned if you don't experience some sort of opposition. Opposition should be a confirmation that you are in right alignment with God because the enemy does not want you to encounter and experience what God has for you. If the enemy, if he can't just get you not to be a Christian, at least he just gets you to be a very quiet, very, you know, just a, a very ineffective Christian. Just leave everybody else alone and just stay where you are and just stay complacent and apathetic. And so they experienced some great opposition to what God had called them to do. And at some point, they had lost heart and they just stopped pursuing the rebuilding of the temple. And they started living for themselves. And this is a temptation for all of us. You know, here they'd been in exile. It's a picture of us without Christ. We're held captive by our sins. And God has given them this time of favor, and He says, I've called you to do something. I've put a mission before you to accomplish. And with great excitement, 50,000 of them went to go do this. And they work on laying the foundation, and they lay the foundation, and there's great opposition. I mean, it is hard work. And they get the foundation laid in opposition. And then at some point, they just get discouraged and they just stop pursuing. But the problem is, is when you stop pursuing, you begin to live for yourself and your own interests. And so from the time they stopped building, and you can, I won't show you this in Scripture, you can find it, you can study it later if you like to, but from the time they stopped building to the beginning um, of, of this book here in Haggai was about 16 years. So they were in a 16-year period where they had the foundation laid, the, building, the, the, the rebuilding was ready to go, and they got discouraged and they stopped. And you can imagine, they walked by, you know, there's the foundation, but you know, it's just too hard. And so for a 16-year period of time, they're just living for themselves. So let's read this, this first chapter with that in, in context, and I want to break down how it applies to our life, and then I'll let you go. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. This is from the, the New Living Translation. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message to the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak. If you're looking for baby names, there you go. There's a list of them. The high priest. And here's the word from the Lord. He said, this is what the Lord's... Lord of Heaven's army say, says, and I, when you hear the words of the Lord, I want you to get the heartbeat of, of God's heart for His people. Some of this is hard words 
but he really, really has a passion for his people. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And so you see the people right there, they have said, it's not time. We got the foundation, and they had made excuses. We got the foundation laid, but we're, we're in this kind of break right now, and we're kind of living for ourselves when the Lord is challenging them here. Verse 3, then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat bread, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though there were, you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and, and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all of your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. It sounds painful. It sounds harsh. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. Listen to this. They turn their hearts. They respond to the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. I want to be like that guy. Zerubbabel, known to be enthusiastic. And it says, the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. I want to be known as a person that is enthusiastically going after God. They began rebuilding the house of their, their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21st, the second year of King Darius's reign. So they got back to work. I want to just break this down a little bit, and I want to talk a little bit about what God is saying to us, what I feel he's speaking today. Verse 3, you see the reason for this comment. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? God is dealing with their self-promotion and their self-interest. He's dealing with them because he said, you know what? You had a mission, but somewhere along the way, you made it all about you instead of the mission. And he's challenging them because they had gotten complacent, saying it's not time to rebuild the house of the Lord. And they had come to a place where they said, it's about me, it's about my agenda, it's about my plan. And ultimately, it's about my kingdom. And the Lord goes on in verses 5 through 7, he said, look what's happening to you. He says this twice, look at what is happening to you. 
You're striving hard, and you, you know, and he says, like you're putting money in pockets filled with holes, and you're going through a lot of process, and you are, you are diligently trying to work, but for not. You're just, you're just working for yourselves, and so it actually leads to very little. You're harvesting little. And God is dealing with them about divine priorities. He is asking them, Whose kingdom are you building here? What are you about? Where is your heart at? Because when you live for yourself, you actually produce very little. When you build your own kingdom, you're going to come up with very little. Where are your priorities? So you're striving but not seeing much. You're living in a place of constant frustration and discontent. And he's saying, if you will get the right priorities, you can have great joy. And so when you see those things and when you're seeing that you're striving hard but producing very little, when you're living in a, a place of constant frustration and discontent, this is signs that you're living for your own agenda. I've been there, and some people live in this vicious cycle, and they get frustrated at God, but it really comes down to our priorities. And then verses 8 through 11, God is opposing their self-interest. And he said, you know what? I blew it away. What you were doing, I blew it away, and I will blow it away. Is this cruel? Absolutely not. God's heart for his people is this. And what he's saying here is this. I want you to be absolutely, completely, and utterly miserable without me. That is the will of the, God, uh, of the Father. You don't have me. Are you miserable? Good. That's what my plan is for your life because I want you to understand that you can't live this without me. I don't want you to live this without me. He doesn't want us to succeed without him. He doesn't want us to get to a place where we're just going through the motions. And so he allowed them in a very real way to say, here's you doing it your way. And if you'll understand, if you'll do it my way, you will walk in great contentment. You will walk in great joy. And then the end of this book, this chapter is is beautiful. It says the fear of the Lord came on them. And you see God's response to an ounce of the fear of the Lord from his people. It touches his heart. When you humble yourself before the Lord and you say, you know, I see it and I, I've been living my own way and God, please forgive me and, and give me the fear of the Lord and I love you. He responds. His heart is touched by one Look and one glance of our eye, one ounce of the fear of the Lord, one move toward him touches his heart. And so you have this first part of all this. It's a hard word. It's, it's a painful word. And we see these few little verses that says that they had the fear of the Lord. And the Lord says, I am with you. And enthusiasm began to rise up in God's people. And they begin to be unified. And they begin to come together. And they begin to say, you know what? We are going to unite our hearts and get back to that which God has called us to do. 
And ultimately, you know the rest of the story is they rebuild the temple because there was nothing going to stop them. Now, did opposition stop? Absolutely not. In fact, there were times when there was greater opposition. We're going to kill you. We're going to take you out. We're going to attack you. They were in constant threat of attack. But they were on mission together. What would happen if God's people began to come together and say, we're going to be unified in heart and mind. We're going to go after God like never before. We're going to have a personal revival of enthusiasm before the Lord and say, God, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to go after you. I'm going to have your word hidden in my heart and I'm going to run the race that is set before me. And I'm going to run alongside God's people. And we're going to fight together because in in, um, in Nehemiah, you have the picture of them fighting together. They were side by side on the wall, a weapon in one hand, a tool in the other, and saying, you know what? It doesn't matter if we get opposition. We're going to fight and we're going to work. We're going to work and we're going to fight. And if somebody comes against my brother and sister, if somebody speaks out against them, if somebody, if there's a negative word, no way. I'm going to fight for them and I'm going to fight for the mission that God has given us. That is what I'm committed to in this place. Renewed vision and strength. And so how does this apply to us? Who is the church? What is the church? What are God's people? Who are God's people? What is God saying to us individually? Because what happened is they repented, they consecrated themselves, and they aligned themselves with what God was doing in their hearts. So I want to close with some passages of Scripture that I think that uh, are, are so applicable with this message in mind. Because we have to ask ourselves this question, who is the church? What is the church? Is it this building? This is not the church. This is a meeting place. That's why all over the world, you know, you have, you have people all over the world meeting in all kinds of different places. Some underground, dirt floors, no seats. What is the church? The place isn't the church. The place is a place to gather. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are His temple. I want to look at some New Testament passages of Scripture because I, as, as we are referencing Haggai and what God's call to the people were. And then His call to us as individuals in this place of personal revival. You can turn to these if you like. You can listen if you like. 1 Corinthians 6 is where I'm going first. And I'm going to read these rather quickly because there's a point to be made in what God is calling us to. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Paul says this, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So who is the church? We are the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. 
Paul says this, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. We are the temple of the Lord. We are his church. You are his temple. Acts 17, 22 through 25. Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, and he's talking to these people who had many different gods, and he is speaking to them, and he's using this as a way to tell them about Christ. He said, I notice that you're very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in, a, in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God lives in you or among you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We are His church. You are His church. If we box God into two hours on a Sunday morning, we have missed the point. We are carriers of the Spirit of God Monday through Saturday and Sunday. 24-7, we are His temple. That is why it's an honor when Jesus came and he left the Holy Spirit after he ascended to the Father, he left the Holy Spirit that we would now be carriers of the very presence of God. My question is this, as, as a temple, what are you doing with the presence of God? And in the book of Haggai, and there's the challenge from the Lord and the questions of the Lord, and the Lord questions me about this. He says, are you living for your own interest? Are you living for your own agenda? Are you living for yourself? Because if you do, you're going to work very hard and you're going to be constantly frustrated. But if you will allow me to live my life through you each and every day, you will experience joy, hope, peace, contentment, and you will be a carrier of the very presence of God. We are God's temple. Together with God's people, we are His church. We are His temple. And I was thinking about this song as we, when we were on vacation, and I was thinking about this, and the Lord began to put this message in my heart and it's an old song that a lot of us know, but it says this, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. You know it, it's an old song. 
Do we live it? Do we mean it? Are you a sanctuary for His presence? Are you a temple of the Holy Spirit? I want to be His sanctuary with all my heart. I love Jesus with all my heart and my soul. And I am committed as a pastor of this church to exalt Jesus to have His Spirit illuminate the Word of God and to challenge each one of us to walk with personal revival each and every day of, my, of our lives. Let's be His sanctuary. Let's pray. Lord, we honor You today. We bless You. We praise You. You are good your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, that you died, that you gave your life for us. Thank you that, Jesus, when you went to be with the Father, you didn't leave us alone. You sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to counsel us, Jesus. You said that he would come and he would convict the world of sin. He would counsel. He would teach he would give us power to be your witnesses. He would illuminate the word of God to us. He would make us more like Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work, for your nearness, for your infilling, for your power that enables us to live as sanctuaries for Jesus. And Lord, I pray not only for myself, I pray for each and every person here. I pray that we would be a living sanctuary for you. And that, Lord, we would carry your presence everywhere we go. We'd be our, our own, this little mini church with the presence of God. God, help us today. Lord, take this church forward. Lord, may we get on mission. Lord, may we grab a hold enthusiastically of the mission that is set before us. The calling of God that you have for us individually and as a body. The things that you've spoken, God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the things that you've done in the past here. Thank you for all the pastors, oh God. I, today I honor them and I thank you for them. I thank you for their lives and their service to your kingdom. And Lord, we thank you for where you have us at today and where you're taking us today, and we say yes and amen. And Lord, my covenant before you and before these people is, Lord, I will search your heart and I will seek your heart every day for what you're saying for this place, God. We love you today, God. Be in us and let us be your sanctuary. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.